This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech-generating device or how to find the right fit for a speech-generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for a Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbite at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted ASHA CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and I am once again joined by the amazing Miss Erin Forward, our upstate South Carolina gal by way of Rochester, New York, who I am stoked to announce is officially a South Carolina resident and has joined the world of speech language pathology and early intervention. Can we get a whoop whoop for her and for the Midlands? Whoop whoop, because she will be right here in the Midlands with me. So yay. Um, I, I, I just had to do the whoop whoop air and I'm sorry. I apologize for embarrassing you. It's okay. It's very exciting. <laughs> the, the fear of not finding a job after grad school is done. So yes. <laughs> um, all right. At, back on track. Everybody's laughing and going, yes, 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 yes. Focus now, Michelle. Um, as I mentioned in episode four, this pod course slash podcast is possible because of the seed she planted a year ago. And she has graciously stuck around to help see it to fruition. In this episode, Erin and I will be taking best practice, i.e. bagless therapy, head on. 
Well, trust me, folks, bagless therapy isn't for the faint of heart. I have been to the homes where they have literally nothing with a mattress serving as a couch in one room and a different mattress serving as a bed in another room. And they have hardly any food in the kitchen cabinets. But remember, poverty is not a crime. In this episode, though, we're going to address why bagless therapy is best practice, some of the governing policies behind the why, and functional strategies for what to do when you stare poverty head on, especially when you wear your heart on your sleeve. If we can do it, then so can you. So on that note, um, let's go cheerful. Miss Erin, please catch folks up to speed about who you are, where you studied, and that you are weeks away from starting that coveted clinical fellowship year. Also, congratulations again, lady. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sorry for those of you who have heard multiple times, I went to undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied psychology and communication science and disorders. I then have just finished my master of speech pathology at the University of South Carolina. And as if Michelle didn't have a large enough impact on me, I am now going to be working in home health early intervention in a few weeks. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. She's, she's not working for me, but only because I don't have enough money to pay this lovely lady, but um, <laughs> she'll be in the same neck of the woods. And that gives, she's, she's just, I'm, I'm glad that we got, South Carolina got to claim you. So yay! Yeah, I didn't figure it out that that was, I knew I loved it so much that first day I was with you, but it ended up happening. Yeah. EI is a, it's a vortex of awesomeness, baby. We will suck you in and not let you go. <laughs> and there's free boogers along the ride. So that's true. That's very there's true. That, yes. Okay. All right. So let me stop babbling and um, put on my um, answering hat and let you get right to it. Okay. All right. Um, so I think most importantly, before we get into everything with bagless therapy, the big question is why should we go bagless therapy in the world of intervention? Okay. Um, let me preface this entire conversation with once upon a time, not too many years ago, I was the queen of the cool toys. Okay. So I am answering this from the perspective of been there, done that. Um, I mean, like been there, done that, had a giant bag that was embroidered because I am Southern. Right. Obviously. Clearly. Um, everybody's like, you really <laughs> like embroidery down there. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, I would haul my bag in, work with my special babies, haul it back out, rapid fire, try to Clorox what I could and or bust out the Lysol can that I was somewhat petrified would explode in my trunk on a hot summer day because you know we are known for our 90 days of 90 or more here and go to the next house and it was rinse wash repeat right and then um one day and again I have been there done that I was using a vibrating um strawberry ring on a patient's cheek externally um, boy, what I wish I would have known even seven years ago. Um, and you know, I had Cloroxed it before I used it with this patient and the mom goes, so what you doing? I was like, I'm waking up her face. And she goes, so how do I wake up her face when you're not here? And why should I wake up her face? And I was like, those are fantastic questions that I don't have an answer for. She goes, so then what are we going to do? I was like, I don't know. Let me get back to you. So that led me on like 1400 different rabbit holes that have um, philosophically changed me as a speech pathologist. And um, today's rabbit hole is chasing the bagless piece. Um, and that rabbit hole led me down to um, certain major policies that I didn't realize were actually in the books as to why we are supposed to go bagless. And when you hear the word bagless, we should insert the terminology utilization of natural environment only. Um, some of the biggies as behind, and I'm not going to be super dry here, but you got to be a little dry. Um, IDEA Part C flat out says early intervention services and the natural environments. 
the Division of Early Childhood, they don't issue license for early intervention as their service coordinators, but they have like eight overriding policies as to why EIs are supposed to go bagless and utilize only what's in the natural environment. ASHA has a position statement specifically written roles and responsibilities of speech language pathologists in early intervention. And they, they flat out say um, family centered, culturally, linguistically responsive and participate in the natural environment. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, and everybody's like, okay, so what does that actually look like? It means Y'all, I only use what's in the home. Point blank. That's it. I don't bring a giant bag of stuff with me. When I go into a patient's home, I have my car keys, my sunglasses, because it's sunny down here um, when it's not monsoon season, and my cell phone. And that's it. Um, And that's kind of scary especially when you're like the umpteenth SLP in the door and every other therapist before you has had the bags. Um, I had one mom tell me one time, she was like, you didn't bring the toys. And I was like, I'm not that kind of therapist. She was like, well, then why does my child want you? And I was like, baby, you've seen me work. <laughs> and she was like, oh, after an hour, she was like, that was so much more fun. I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, when she said, why don't I want you? I didn't really have an answer. I was like, I don't know. You just triggered a whole lot of anxiety. Why do I want me? <laughs> like, Let me give it a shot. Like, let, let me, let me rock your world, baby. So, um, it boils down to we're supposed to go bagless because all of these great researching bodies say that you're supposed to. And when you actually embrace it and do it, The babies that you work with, the infants, the toddlers, the young children, they make leaps and bounds progress. I mean, they just grow so rapid fire because you're training the families on how to use what's in their natural environment, what's in their homes or what's at the park or what's at the Chick-fil-A, places where they already go how to use it to help their kid reach their functional ADLs or activities of daily living faster. It's That's what the World Health Organization says. They say that we are supposed to focus on functional communication or PO intake acquisition as pertains to ADLs. We know this for adults, people. Drum roll. We know this for adults. That's the same for the babies. I, we Just because they're tinier doesn't make it any less important. It's like a huge soapbox. Like I feel well, and how are they supposed to generalize if and I mean, I know you can try as hard to mix up the things that you use, but you come in with that same bag every week. They're learning those skills on those toys, those things you bring in, but you're not teaching the families how to use those skills on what they have every day because that's what they're exposed to the other 20 three hours of that day and whatever the math equals for however many hours a week. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where's I can't do that right now. Like that's a lot of math. Where's a calculator? <laughs> but it, I mean, and I think it puts you in a different mindset as a therapist. And like, I love it because you get to think on your feet and you just, it, it makes you think more about what they're exposed to every day, as opposed to like, this is what I'm planning on doing. Yes. Yes. Well, and how many of the kids that we treat when we walk in the door, they can't even say that they're hurt or they can't say that they're hungry. And we bring in our bags toys of like barn animals. Well, that's great if you're doing a lesson plan about the big red barn. But if that kid can't say, oh, mommy, I haven't pooped in a week and I'm a little constipated and I'm uncomfortable or hey, mom, um, did you know my I have a hard time breathing at night and that's why I'm up all night long, but you think I'm having nightmares, but it's actually this. I mean, there there are bigger fish to fry than learning that a cow says moo. Especially if they've never seen a barn. Yes. Yeah. And also, 
Well, my favorite thing that you taught me really early on is like so much in therapy in a clinic, you know, the behavioral things, I feel like you, you just tried, your goal is to go through a session without having a a behavioral issue for a lot of kids, but we'd have a kid that had a breakdown and you were automatically like, Oh, this is so great. Let's input language into this, this, what they're having. Let's give them language in their viewpoint so that they can then learn to express why they're feeling this way. Okay, folks, let me translate what she just said so you can understand how adorably comical this experience was. We had a child with autism spectrum disorders, cutest little booger, um, and his older brother had irritated his ever-loving last nerve. And so he was done. I mean, as such are all three-year-olds. So he threw himself on the ground. So I looked at Aaron across the room and I was like, lay down on the ground. And Aaron's like, Okay, because, you know, like her grade was like depending on this and like her world. So she throws herself on the ground. I lay down next to the kid and I start beating the ground with my hands and my fist saying, I am so mad. And Aaron's like, okay, I got this. And like, without skipping a beat, you threw down right next to me. And I was like, I just gave birth to a future EI SLP without the stretch marks. Like, it was it was awesome I was like that's how I knew you were you were you were meant for this sweetie but like a kid didn't have the language he Mm -hmm. and let me tell you what if you throw down on the ground next to a kid who's having a meltdown and you verbalize what's going on in their world and I we uh, you know expanded I am so mad my brother took my toy I am mad and then when he stopped we sat up and we modeled everything from subjective pronoun. I can't remember what it was like. We were like, wait, I am now confused. Why is Miss Michelle on the ground with me? (laughs) But it's like you're in their world. And I've never had that was the kid that like, he he really looked in my eyes. Like he really was like, wow, you get it. Yes. Oh, honey, the first session after you like your practicum ended, when I came back and it was just Miss Michelle, he was looking behind me. He was like, where's the tall, pretty one? I mean, he didn't say that, but he was like looking around. His eyebrows were all confused. I was like, Miss Aaron's all done. Miss Aaron went bye bye. And he was like, no, no, no. I was like, can't yeah, be like, sorry, friend. <laughs> oh, well, oh. and I mean, we're talking about one instance. So in general, you know, when I was in grad school and I worked in the clinic, it was, you create a lesson plan, you have all your stimuli, you have all your, um, uh, you have all your tools, your toys, which is great in learn in, in that setting is wonderful. But what does that look like in bagless therapy? Like what techniques do you use where, you know, we're so used to lesson planning everything that we're going to do? Um, a couple of thoughts. One, you need to memorize to the best of your capacity, the PRC core vocab. Um, I picked that up from um, Dr. Carol over with the South Carolina Assistive Technology Office. She was the first first person to ever put a copy of those words in my hand. Um, and when the parents say, why are these words important? Because folks, they are verbs and they are pronouns. Well, interesting to note, the PRC core vocab immediately connects over to I'm going to butcher this, the Dolch reading words, the first 300 reading words. And you know what? The first words little kiddos learn to read always correlate to the first words they learn to talk. And we do not talk in nouns. It's not cookie, goldfish, gummy bear. It is want, eat, drink, no. No is always one of the first words um, because tiny humans get mad. Um but we utilize that core, I, I memorize that core vocabulary. And then I, I'm a creature of habit. When I walk in the door, I assess the current situation. What's, what's the mood of the room? And the homes that we go into, there's a lot of variables. There's other siblings there. They could have siblings that have a special needs. They have parents working multiple 
um, jobs or um, the mom is a stay-at-home mom. And that is like an unforgiving, I don't know, 80-hour-a-week job that you don't really get a break from. So assess the situation. Then I say, what new medical changes? Because a lot of the kids have a cootie, a head cold, or, well, hey, we had a change in cardiac management this week. And then I say, okay, well, what's going on new in their in their language world? Like, talk to me about, you know, what what vocab, what challenge have you hit this week? And then you have to do that within the first, I don't know, a minute and a half to three minutes. And then look at what has the child engaged there and build on that one moment in time. It's not break the child from whatever activity they're doing to take them to a forced activity. You throw down with what has their interest at that moment. Because let's be honest, for a lot of the kids that we work with, one of their deficits is attention to a task. So if I walk in and the kid is like happily playing with blocks, I am not going to take them away to go do like dolls or a car game. I I want to piggyback on what they're doing, but then expand it to make it like fun- functional language acquisition. Put on, on top, on top, bam, oh no, it fell down. And I'm like a living, breathing cartoon when I work with my babies. Because it's funny, it's fun, and then Miss Michelle is the fun language toy, and you don't need a bag of therapy. But and it's motivating. Yes, yes, because I mean, you know what it makes me think of? Do you remember that scene? Okay, I'm a nerd. Do you remember that scene in Monsters Inc. when they're hanging on the walls with all the doors and Sully needs Boo to laugh to activate the door so then Mike Kozowski does like all the stunts rapid fire? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm Kozowski. <laughs> like, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's... You kind of feel like, you know... It's fun because you get to be a kid and you get to, and in everyday life, people would be like, this is weird. Like, this is dramatic. You're an adult, but you're like, but now I'm kind of a kid right now. Yeah. This is more fun. Yes, it is. Okay. So how did that feel to you? You came from a setting where you had to write massive lesson plans to, I just kind of asked you in the car, like when we pulled in the driveway. So what do you think you're going to work on today? And that's probably terrifying but like it's also I loved it and that, that but I'm was one of the least type a people in my class <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about let me adult better now <laughs> it's you it's just it's I feel like every session is a challenge because you're like, okay, how can I input language with this? Okay, the kid has to go to the bathroom. Let's think about all these, this language that he would need to tell his mom he needs to go to the bathroom or understand what's going on. And to me, like you're always thinking on your feet. And that is it makes you think more about language because you're like, Oh, okay. Well, they really do need to understand these propositions for this part of their life. Oh, the parent in this situation, I'm seeing what's going on where they're not communicating well. And this child can't say that they're hungry. Let me work on this. And I have this opportunity because this is where the communication breakdown is normally than trying to pretend like that's what's going on in a session that you're creating artificially. Yes perfectly stated there's there's something you and I have discussed before um over glasses of mommy juice and pizza um about how there's a misconception about the evidence-based practice that early interventionists do a lot of people think that the hardest jobs and I'm not belittling this at all is only acute care. I mean, I have been there, done that, and that is incredibly hard. Sometimes these patients' lives are in your hands, but you're walking into the door of a patient's house with car keys, a cell phone, and that's it. And you have to change the kid's stars 
with nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of like, you know, when you're going into a home where they don't have a lot of resources, because we'd see some children where the families had a whole room of toys and they had these things that the child was used to playing with and we could work with. And that was more of a traditional of what I would be used to as far as inputting language in those instances. But those homes that are lower socioeconomic status where they don't have those obvious fun toys, um, what do you do then? And how does it tie into their ADLs? Okay, so those are the hardest. Um, let me um, let me preface this with um, just actually addressing poverty head on. Like I have had the homes where um, I was asked one time to go in and do a feeding session. And the I, I called the mom, um, a colleague was going out on maternity leave. And so I was picking up the kid for a while they were on maternity leave. And I said, you know, I would phone call, talk to me about what's going on. blah blah. And she said, Well, and y'all, I code switch because I have the hills in my voice. I'm not speaking ill of my families. But like, seriously, my family's from like, um, deep, deep, deep country. So I code switch because if I go in and use professional jargon, then the families, you know, they don't trust me. You know, I'm like that uppity girl. But if I like let the hills roll, we're, we're copacetic. But um, that's my favorite word. Yeah, copacetic. Sorry. <laughs> when you say challenge, the way you say challenge, I love how you do your A's in that. Every time I hear it, I'm like, he, 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 she's a Yankee. Um, yeah, I can't hide it. No, it's lovely. But like, okay, so I call this mom and I'm like, okay, so talk to me about the foods. What foods are you working? And she goes, well, she brings the yogurt. And I'm like, okay, so talk to me about the yogurt. And she goes, well, we're working on the yogurt. All right. So I, my takeaway is, all right, so they're working on period foods. And I'm like, well, is it the chunky kind? Is it the thin kind? Because I'm trying to come up with like the consistency. And she goes, it's, it's the white one. And I was like, okay, so it's the vanilla yogurt. Like I'm rapid fire going through like my little repertoire of like all the yogurts that I know, right? When you do feeding therapy, you learn the, the variety of foods available on your market shelf, right? So I say, well, what foods do you have in your home? What do you have for like leftovers from dinner? And she goes, well, um, she goes, we normally just hit the drive through on the way home. And I'm thinking immediately, okay, they can hit the dollar menu. They can buy like a large quantity of food to fill their bellies, but it's not that, you know, nourishing right and so then I go well um what do y'all do for breakfast or lunch and she said well they eat at the schools the schools feed them and sometimes they send them home with a goodie bag on the weekend I already know before setting foot in that house that there's probably limited even food in the house much less like limited toys to do language with because what this family just shared is that they're probably on the free and reduced lunch program. If you eat breakfast and lunch at school and then hit a drive through then you probably don't have that many options available. So um, my go-to is I need to get resources in the home. And for cases like that, extreme poverty, I'm still not supposed to bring food into the home because if I do, I don't know for sure that the food allergies have been well documented. I don't know what the siblings could be allergic to or God forbid what the parent could be allergic to. Um, what happens if the food I'm bringing in has expired and I didn't know it? I mean, I see five patients in a day. Like what if it has to sit in my hot car? You know, I don't want to make the patient sick. I mean, that would be horrifying. Um, but I know all of that just by having a crucial conversation. So then I reach out to the early interventionist or the special needs care nurse or um, their pediatrician and say, okay, what do they have food stamps? Do we have a food pantry? Can we get an emergency bulk per, like donation to this family? I mean, there's community supports around to one, get food in because if a baby's belly isn't full, there's no way they're going to be ready for language acquisition. Um, oh, Squirrel. Asha has a really, really cool webinar on ethics and um, feeding for schools. Sorry, that's a big squirrel. But like, I think that's really, really exciting because it piggybacks on like they have to be fed at school in order to. Um, 
I got to do that. We got to do that one together. Um, But for the toys and getting resources in the home, I can call places. I can ask the early interventionist. And a lot of times, let's be honest, some of the EIs are your age. So they're a little younger. You've, you've got a little, honey, you got an old soul, which is really, really cool to watch. Like, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. And so I've been told that a lot. Yes. Yes. But you do. And folks out there that have the old soul will understand because they tend to wear the heart on their sleeve and you walk in and when you see that the families don't have anything, your immediate thought is, Oh my gosh, I have to go buy them things. Um, and they're done that you will go broke doing that folks. But there's angel trees that you can get folks signed up for at Christmas. Um, the largest early interventionist company here in town has emergency funds Um, we used to have a program here in town called Winston's wish that will donate toys for children that have low income and, um, uh, it's changed names. So it's something different, but, and that's a year long program. Um, I just learned, um, two weeks ago about a new program in town where if a child has certain communication deficit, the state, and we're just one state, but the state will for free give them a tablet and give them a communication device on there for free. So, which is amazing. That's amazing. But there's there's resources out there to get fun things in the home. And we have to acknowledge that poverty is real, but poverty is not a crime. It's just a situational experience. It's not these fault, kids' fault that they don't have the things. But it makes it that much worse if we bring the toys in and then leave them mm-hmm. um, and take, well, I th- yeah. I think you have to be prepared being in home health that like the wall that you may have in a clinic or even in the hospital or in a lot of other settings that like the parents can put up that wall. Like they don't, they can tell you what they tell you. They can put on a front, not a front, but I mean, that's not something that people all want to share a lot. That's, that's very personal to them. And, and by being let into their home, it's a privilege, but also something that you have to understand to, you have to find a balance of taking it lightly, but, but being an advocate for them. And sometimes that involves, pushing them to do things that they may not have always wanted to do, but you have to learn your families and learn what they need and what day they may need one thing and the next day they may need something else. But that's your thrown right in there and they can't put up that wall, even if they want to. Yes, you're, you're totally correct. Now there's it there. It, you have to learn this fine art, this fine grace. Like I, I have tiny humans So like I have this advantage of we have tiny humans and three sets of grandparents. So we, we, when we go home to Virginia and they see three sets of grandparents, then we come back with a case of the gimmies and no offense. That's not how our household rolls on the gimmies. And then like they're, they're on the sugar high and like a goose and a bear on a sugar high Um, to the grandparents that are listening. Trust me that following week sucks for the parents perspective. Also, you never did that to me. So why, why are you torturing me with my children? Um, you're laughing because you, it's fun. It's, it's fun, fun for them. Totally going to do that when I'm a grandma and like that better not be for another 30 years, but whatever. Um, that being said, I will, because my family's from, you know, my, my grandparents didn't grow up with a lot. So I was always taught pay it forward and what they call it is passing on down the line. I can hear my grandma saying it now. Now, should somebody might need that somewhere. So you just hold on to it till you can pass it on down the line. And I will periodically go through the kids' rooms and say, all right, the special babies need this. And the boys know, all right, somebody needs this. And then they like clean up and we and we donate. And then I will take, I will clean them, Clorox them or whatever specifications the receiving family needs. Cause some people need like organic cleaner. Some people need like vinegar to, for toys to be cleaned. In. And then I will deposit at the house. I will give it. Or if they don't know me that well, I'll give it to the EI to deposit in the home. That way there's, there is a fun, shiny thing. If they genuinely need that. 
Otherwise, yo, I'm throwing in, I'm throwing down with what they've got. I have done speech therapy with a dirty clothes hamper and socks that were definitely not clean. And we did in and shoot and throw and up, down, score. And, you know, then you go out in your car when you're in the car, you like totally germex because you definitely touch somebody else's dirty footed sock. But like. It's or if they have siblings, use their siblings, like play a game in a circle, go outside because we all know kids don't go outside as much as they should and like run and, and do verbs and jumping and, and go and stop. And there's a lot of ways that then it's so easy for the parent to be like, okay, let's like, we can play this game or teach an older sibling. That's another thing too. That's cool is like the whole family's there. So I remember we had a family that had like, how many kids were there? I forget, but there were so many and they always wanted to help. And it was so great because like, then they learned the things that we were working on so they could carry that over too. And and when older siblings want to be helpers, that's fantastic. But just proceed with caution when they want to be helpers and feeders that they don't like shove too much. Yeah, the, yeah, the feeding, we got to be careful yeah. about that. Be care- but you are absolutely right. I distinctly remember Ring Around the Rosie, which everybody's like, okay, so why is Ring Around a Rosie core vocab? It's not. But getting to the game, want to play? Let's go. And then you have to open the door to get outside because you can't fit that many tiny humans in a circle in the living room, you know, but you're, you're right in the sense that we don't go outside enough. We spend way too much time on our screens and not enough time experiencing and creating childhood. Um, which on that note, I'm going to make a mental note to make sure the boys are enrolled for soccer. (laughs) Every every other is a good one. I wasn't very good at it. No, I was a terrible ballerina. But all the same, <laughs> it was not attached to a screen. Um, True. But you, you got to use what they have. And if if you come after school hours, well, then make a snack with the kids. Like kids come home from school hungry, but we can go in the kitchen. There's so much vocabulary that goes to making a snack, and we can do that. Um, there was a there was a game that I played once years ago where you have to cover your eyes and tell the person how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Also, make sure that nobody's allergic to peanut butter. But I mean, like they have to open the bag, pull out two slices of bread, put them on the plate, open the jars. And it's really, really funny to see how if the person giving the directions has their hands over their eyes, um, to see what the person that's following the directions, what it actually looks like. That's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it never turns into a peanut butter and jelly sandwich unless you've like played this game before, but um, it's, right. yeah. That's just, yeah. And it's like, we try so hard in other settings to make it as functional as possible. And then you're like, this is as functional as it gets. Like, don't bring the clinic to the home. Yeah. Just use the home. Just use the home. Or I have done therapy at a Chick-fil-A. And that was probably my. That's true. That's that's a that's a good point. Yes. If if their natural environment is they go to the library every Tuesday, well then meet them at the library. I've done that. Give the kid the check out a book, like or their daycare or the playground. Yep. I mean, kids are mean. Giving a kid the ability to say "knock that off," I don't like that. And I'm imagining my three year old saying, "I don't yike that." Like that's that will. That gives them a voice because, I mean, little kids can push them around, you know. Um, I sometimes I, when I do have a kid that I see at the daycare, I try to balance it with also seeing them at the home if possible once a month. Um, and sometimes that means I go out and do therapy on the weekends. Yeah, that sucks. But like I need the families to actually see what I'm doing to help them carry over. Right. Well, and so in like a clinic or school, a lot of times we'll give like home programs that are worksheets or with specific activities for like their home exercise program. But how does that work when you have bagless therapy and you're not in an office and you don't have 
a printer or a photocopier, things like that? Um, uh, my response to that starts with paperwork. Ha ha. Um, I write, I get families to sign um, a permission to treat consent to release and all of that documentation. Um, you saw my giant document when I like start, um, mm-hmm. like when I do my eval. And one of the questions that I have them do is um, permission for me, especially when they're at the daycare um, to film part of our sessions. And then I send that to the parent or if they're not, they don't want to do that. I have, um, because a lot of people give permission for the daycare workers to like have access to cell phone footage in case like, you know, the kid gets hurt or something. Or, um, if I'm in their home, I let the parents record me because I mean, I don't, whatever I'm already on the internet, um, doing part of the therapy session. And then especially if it's on mom's cell phone, if it's on mom or dad's cell phone, and then there's silly Miss Michelle being silly doing the activity, the kids were vain. We are vain from the moment we come out. We love to look at ourselves in the mirror. Well, if they get to watch themselves uh-huh. on real world time doing the activity with Miss Michelle, then they're more likely to replicate that. Um, There's all that research on video or feedback, especially with children with autism. Yes. And oh, I'm glad that you said that. I have noticed that kids, um, like when I'm doing like my feeding therapy sessions in the home, I sit next to the child with, and I have that little, what is it called on the back of my phone that makes it pop up to stand? Pop socket. Yes, I have this. This is, <laughs> this is a total, you've made me cool woman. I thought, well, I, yes, you and the other girl who I saw that had one of them, who's probably also listening in the upstate going, no, I called dibs on that one. But like it sits on the table. Although you, you did t- take me to anthropology first. So I give you True. credit for that one. Oh, the candles. Everybody's like, yes, the candles. <laughs> um, I put that, I pop that thingy out and I film myself eating, doing like whatever approach I'm doing. And it's just me talking to myself and I look over and I model and then I have a bite and I'm like, mmm, that's so yummy. And then I stop the recording and I put it in front of the kid. And what's really cool is a lot of the children on the spectrum, I'm not force feeding the kid. I'm not like therapeutically placing like the spoon or the food in the kid's mouth. Like the kid watches himself and then they're like, whoa, that looks cool. And then what I love is when they watch themselves on the film, watch what Miss Michelle is doing, make eye contact with me and then go and do it themselves. I'm like, I am a successful speech pathologist. <laughs> I'm like, I get very excited about that. That's, that's joyful. But, um, I mean, I don't have access to a photocopier. I'm happy if my own little printer works like once or twice a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the power of a picture or a video on a parent's phone for them to play back. Um, and then I also use the teach reteach method. Right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the home exercise program is not just a goal to be written so that we can say compliance with 100% accuracy so that people's insurance continues to pay for therapy. You actually have to do that because if you don't have a family that's compliant with an HEP, the kid's not going to progress. Now, it could be that they're not compliant because we're having to break down in communication and like the teach, reteach method or they're not utilizing it. Or, I mean, I've had the HEP breakdown because I'm not the right fit for the kid. I mean, they don't jive with my approach. I'm loud. I'm crazy. I'm silly. Um, I'm kind of an aggressive therapist when I comes to like getting kids to all the different specialists and getting diagnostics done because I mean that's just who I am and that's overwhelming well that's okay I I'm not going to be the right therapist for every kid but sometimes families also just don't want to acknowledge that their child has a deficit um And I was that mom too. I was that mom that even though my youngest son couldn't hear, I didn't want to acknowledge that his language was that delayed and that he had that many Arctic phonology issues and that I was caving to his every whim. And it took a very dear friend who's an OT who called me on the carpet and was like, you wouldn't let a kid do that at work. So why are you letting your own son do it? And I was like, oh, 
snap, that's a thing. So, I mean, I say that with the grace that's do the subject because been there, done that as a mom. Um, also, it really is hard as a mom when your own kid needs speech therapy and you're the speech therapist, but you can't be your kid's speech therapist. You got to be their mom, you know? Right. Um, well, and I think it's all about reading your families too. Like one day you may give them like you know, we do a lot of signs with kids. You may give them two signs that you're working on and ask them to input it in as many places as they can. And the next week that may be just all they can do. Maybe on is like all they can do that week because it's just a lot. And then the next week they're like, okay, what else are we going to start working on? And you give them like even more because they're just really gung ho that week. And it's, I think it changes so much every time you go in because there's so many other factors that are a part of it. And because in EI you're working with the babies, like you're also sometimes the first, some of the first people to see them, you know, when they're realizing there's a delay or something like that. So there's a whole course of, grief that they go through seven stages of grief i'm so glad you said that y'all if you're listening check out seven stages of grief i mean it's technically on death and dying but these parents are there and read crucial conversations like that's a great book because just like aaron said like we could be called in because it was a, a nicu case and they're just working on like bottle feeding and then we realize that the child's not tracking a visual stimuli the child's not responding to um every other kid screaming at the top of their lungs in the daycare room um or you witness overt signs symptoms of a seizure um we have to know how to read and that's something that is something that I struggle with personally is still learning to read because I just want to go in all guns a blazing and fix. Mm -hmm. um, but I have sat back and watched how you speak with families and your, your introvert comes out there. And sometimes I feel like introverts just naturally have a like, <laughs> I'm like us crazy extroverts, but like you read body language better. Um, I, I don't know how to sum that it up. That might be my psychology degree coming out too. Ah, yes. Duh. Okay. So all the SLPs in the room are like, yeah, now we got to go back and be psychologists. <laughs> but that's a part what I love about also home health is I get to use that. You become a counselor, like you really do. And you have to tread that line very carefully because when you're in the homes, you can get very invested very quickly and you have to put that professional you know, side on, but at the same time, like if it's related to the child and their deficits, it's okay to, to spend, there might be, I remember you spent, there were some days where it was like a half hour of the 30 minute session where we had to talk to mom about like their doctor's appointments and all these things that were going on. Because as much as, you know, you try to communicate with the EI, they're super busy and mom wants to vent to you because of what you're working on. And so you, you sometimes have to put that hat on. You just have to make sure that like you are professional about it and don't overstep bounds. They did not teach a counseling class in my spit or in my. We had one, which was awesome. Yes. And I remember. Dr. Apple, we had a good one. Yes. But I remember people being like, why do I need a counseling one? And I'm like, I literally feel like two thirds of my why life you? is counseling. Yes. But that's, we need that even more so in early intervention because that's a counseling, a good counselor equates to a really good, solid home exercise program. And if you can get them to buy into, just like you said, maybe one or two signs this week, and then the next week throwing like a few more signs at them, like that can help them grow. And that's something that's something that before I had children, I would say, hey, you need to do 18 billion different things. And then I became a mother and I was like, a mother of a son who's in speech therapy and like get, being on the receiving end of that. I'm lucky if I can do one thing that week 
I mean, just just give me one speech sound that I need to work on. One phoneme, one position. Do you want final? Do you want initial? Do you want medial? I don't know. I don't really do phonology. So like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it is outside of my scope of practice because I haven't done it in so long. I mean, I do a little bit of it, but not like I should. But that's, Yeah making you are absolutely right gauging what the family can handle see that psych degree mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes in handy yes more than watching what is that bachelor show that you love to watch that i love to pick on you about oh, bachelor in paradise it just started yes <laughs> it's my social psych i like to analyze people yeah i'm i'm sure after the first time you met me you came back with a few fun ones <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that, that went to scary dark places versus, um, just bagless therapy. Okay. So let me, let me wrap this up because I just looked at the timer. I'm like, you and I can squirrel away 47 minutes in a heartbeat, but, um, we are supposed to be doing bagless therapy. If you teach language and you teach PO skills in the natural environment with the resources that they have bottom line families can more easily replicate what it is that you're doing to help the child reach their goals. That's probably the best way that I can sum that up. Is that, that's, that's pretty fair. Um, on that note, um, before we switch over to questions, um, I just want to um, drop the hint that I'm pretty excited because next week we're going to be joined by um, Mr. Dr. Greg Black. He is an allergist and he is going to, um, I got him in for a couple of Q&As because of all the questions we had about like, so what really is an allergist? Um, what do they do? Food allergies? Are those a thing? Um, and he's going to do one of three. Um, and next week's the very first one. Um, and we're going to talk about um, gold standard for diagnosing food allergies. So, um, and we'll take it from there. So, Erin, um, thank you. Um, thank you. As always, thank you. And I think next time you and I talk um, hold on. Let me, let me scroll down to the notes that I have. I think the next one that you and I do in like a month is, um, banishing basic feeding myths in the world of pediatrics. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you and I are both like so many squirrels and soap boxes. Yes. yes. <laughs> a lot of tangents. I love it. I love it. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember... Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.